0: Hey there, I'm Andrea Koppel, and it's time for Coffee, the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, wonderful Java junkies. Welcome to another episode of Tea for c My next guest helped to change my life for the better, and I really mean that. Before I discovered her and experienced Her way of teaching meditation, I actually didn't really understand meditation. I couldn't empty my mind or quiet my thoughts or stop them. But then I discovered Emily Fletcher. But before I properly introduce you to her, I want to make sure you've signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's our weekly newsletter that we send out bright and early on Monday mornings with the full lowdown on the five guests and episodes we're dropping that week. And it is super easy to do. Just head on over to the Time for Coffee website at time4coffee.org, the number four, coffee.org, and it's right there on the homepage. And while you're there, you can also check out the other podcasts we've dropped, which are actually organized by profession or health, wellness, and self-care. So for example, you can click on marketing or sales and all the interviews we've done with professionals in those careers are there to better help you find the help you need to rock the job search and life search. And my next guest falls into the category of life search, or maybe I should say the pixie dust you need to sprinkle on your life so that you can be your best self. So grab your mug and take a chug of a delicious caffeinated beverage because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guest today is Emily Fletcher, the founder of Ziva, the creator of the Ziva technique, and regarded as the leading expert in meditation for high performance. Her recent accomplishments provide a stark contrast to the stressed-out Broadway performer she was 10 years ago. During Emily's decade-long career on Broadway, which included roles in Chicago, The Producers, A Chorus Line, she began going gray at 27, suffered from insomnia, was underperforming at work, getting sick four or five times a year, and believing that this was all normal. Then, in 2008, Emily was introduced to a powerful practice that cured her insomnia, And improved her health on the very first day. I think you can guess what that practice was, but I want to let Emily pick up the story from here. Emily, welcome to Time for Coffee. I don't think I should ask you if you're caffeinated, but are you decaffeinated and ready to go?
1: (laughs) I am indeed. I am meditated and ready to rock.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Okay. So take us back to 2008. What was happening in your life?
1: So I was in a chorus line and I was understudying three of the lead roles, which means you show up to the theater with no idea which character you're going to play. Sometimes I would start the show as one character and halfway through they would switch me to a different one. Or sometimes I would just be chilling in the dressing room doing my taxes and someone would get on a loudspeaker and say, Emily Fletcher, we need you on stage. And I would start panicking because I didn't know which character or costume to grab. So I would just run down seven flights of stairs. Someone would throw me in an outfit and I would be on stage before I knew which character I Was on for. And then you're just thrown into like a six page song, which is terrifying. So I was living my life in this constant state of fight or flight. Even on the days that I wasn't on, I was terrified that I would be thrown on. And this anxiety started building up in my life. And, you know, you mentioned I I had a debilitating insomnia for 18 months. I was going gray. I was, you know, rocking myself in fetal position in between shows, listening to Eckhart Tolle on repeat and very, very confused why I was living my dream. And yet I was miserable. And thankfully, this amazing woman was sitting. Next to me in the dressing room, who had a harder job than I did, but she was crushing it. I mean, every dance, every song, every bite of food was a celebration. And I said, Excuse me, what do you know that I don't know? And she said, I meditate. And I was like, Oh God, one of you. I and I, that. you know, I rolled my eyes. And because there was not the neuroscience then that there is now. And so I didn't believe her. I just kept going gray, having insomnia and sucking at my job. And then finally, it got so bad. I was so embarrassed about my performance that I thought, Well, I have to try something. So I went along with this intro to meditation talk. And like you said in the intro, it really really changed everything. I mean, it cured my insomnia on the first day. I've slept every night through the night since then until I had a newborn son three months ago. But at least my (laughs) sleeplessness now is not from insomnia. It's from cute babies. But once I found this practice, everything started getting better. I stopped going gray. I stopped getting injured. And most importantly, I started loving my job again. I started performing from a place of fulfillment. Like I started allowing nature and creativity to use me as a vessel instead of using my performance or my job as a way to validate myself or a way to build myself up externally which is an addiction like anything else. And so finally, I thought, you know, why does everyone not do this? It's made my life so much better. So I left Broadway and I went to India and I started what became a three-year training process to teach this. And I opened up Ziva in 2010, and it's been the best thing I've ever done. I've taught 15,000 people to meditate. We started the world's first online meditation training. I have my first book coming out in February. And we've created, like you said, the Ziva technique, which is this whole beautiful new way of meditating that people are finding really accessible and really easy to fit into their busy
0: lives. And it's just been a whole new career, a whole new chapter. And I love it. Well, it's unbelievable. And by the way, again, huge congratulations on becoming a new mom. Thank you. I know this is just kind of filling every sort of crevice in your happiness kind of DNA, right? Mm, it really is. Like he smiles and laughs, and the whole world
1: stands still. I mean, it's so cliche, but it's true. It's so incredible to watch him evolve and to watch his brain develop and to see him coming into his body. And it's really so fun.
0: And we will talk about your other not human baby that you have given birth to that will be dropping in February of 2019 in just a minute. But Before we get into all of that, and before we get into the Ziva technique, I know Java junkies would love to learn from you, Emily, how you built your amazing business. You founded Ziva, as you said, in 2010. Mm -hmm. What did it look like back then? How
1: did it begin? Mm. So thanks for asking this, because I rarely talk about the company side of things. Most people just want to talk about meditation, the more esoteric or the technique. And I'm actually very, very proud of the company that we've created. I'm really proud of our employees. I'm proud of what we've accomplished. And so in 2010, I was living in LA, finishing my training, and I moved back to New York, to be quite honest, to be with my now husband. It was the first decision I ever made in my life where I put my personal life before my professional life. I moved back solely to be with him. And then my whole career blew up. And it was a really great lesson in you know what? Like, do what you need to do to make yourself happy. Like, it's not all about work all the time. Sometimes you have to put your personal life first. And I did that. And when I first started teaching, I was teaching out of his living room. I moved in with him and I would have six or seven students on his couch. And then that started growing and growing. And finally, he felt like he didn't even have an apartment anymore. And so <laughs> I, got, I got booted out and I started teaching. And my friend, her name's Simone De La Rue, she opened a company at the exact same time that I did called Body by Simone. So she teaches all the celebrities. fitness. And she had this beautiful new studio and she only taught during the day. So I taught there at night. And then the New York Times did a full page spread on her and her company blew up. And so I got booted out of there. (laughs) So We opened up our own center in Manhattan on 14th Street and 8th Avenue. And a couple years later, we outgrew that and we moved to Midtown. And now we have this beautiful studio in Soho. So it's just been great to watch that every few years we outgrow our home and we have to build a new nest. But it was really, I was quite scrappy. And I started teaching face to face and it was changing people's lives so much. They were having such extraordinary transformations, but they would come to me and say, you know, Emily, I want my mom to learn this. she lives in Nebraska, or my cousin is in Columbia, or, you know, just I want to share this. But my friends, my family don't have access to a teacher, and I thought, you know what? These tools are too good to be kept under the covers anymore. And technology was just, you know, increasing and improving. Like online courses, believe it or not, weren't really a thing in 2010, and neither was meditation. Right. <laughs> like both were a little like weird at the time, and so I was like, you know what? I don't care. I'm doing it anyway. And so we created this online meditation training. And in a few years, I had doubled the amount of people that I had reached with our online course versus what I had taught face to face. I said, you know what, there's something here. This is happening. People are ready for this.
0: What year was it that you created your
1: first online course? That was, I think, 2013, if I'm not mistaken. Okay, it was a couple of years after, but it was before Headspace. It was before the Oprah Chopra challenges. It was, it was really one of the first of its kind. And I didn't know if it was going to work. It was a total experiment, as I didn't know if people could learn to meditate online or not. But I thought it was worth the experiment. And you know, I have a BFA in musical theater. Like, I'm a really good tap dancer. I've never built a technological platform. Before. <laughs> <laughs> I was just kind of learning as I was going and piecing it together. I mean, if people look at the code on this thing, I mean, they laugh at it because it was so brittle because I didn't know what I was doing. And we were hacking everything together. And I was taking all these disparate software programs and trying to make them function together. Now it's really easy to make online courses. They're all white labeled and you just plug and play your content. It's like the technology is so much more elegant now. But then it was actually quite difficult. And I think maybe people will appreciate this story. So I was still actually... When I started teaching and I was actually teaching acting as well, I opened up the East Coast division of the number one acting school in Los Angeles. So I sort of had three careers. I was acting, I was teaching acting, and then I was running Ziva. And there was this one week where I was in final callbacks to play Velma in Chicago, the musical on Broadway. I was training six teachers at the acting studio and I was launching Ziva Mind. That's what the first online training was called. Right. <laughs> All of this was happening in one week and I wasn't sleeping sleeping at all, not from insomnia, but just because I was working all the time. And then I was like, wait a minute, Emily, like, this is ridiculous. You are not practicing what you're preaching. You're not succeeding at anything because you're trying to go full out in three separate directions. And that was the week where I decided to stop acting. And I called my agents and I said, thank you guys so much. I love you so much. But my heart is in a different place. And I dialed back on the teaching of acting. And I really went, you know, all in on Ziva. And it was so beautiful to watch what unfolded when I really put both feet into Ziva. I really believe that when you commit fully, when you make a full, wholehearted investment, the return on investment is exponential. And I was finally ready to do that with Ziva.
0: And we definitely have turned many corners since then. Well, I have to say, as someone who took one of the earliest Ziva courses, Mm -hmm. the online courses, your theatrical abilities and your ability to communicate in creative ways, Emily, is what broke through with me. I mean... You are just, you light up the video. You are so authentic. But at the same time, you can have somebody who's very authentic, who's putting you to sleep and, (laughs) you know, and you are just, you're funny, you're creative. And I just think, I mean, you must obviously see this, that all of your skills that you were honing Whether you were tap dancing or singing or speaking lines are coming into play. Mm, Absolutely. And I think this is a great lesson and a big takeaway for
1: people who are starting their careers is that you don't have to have it all figured out. You know, if you have something that you're passionate about, something that you're good at, something that you think the world needs, just go for it. You know, just do it, do it full out. And if you change, if you pivot, if you go in a different direction later, great. But if you become really good at something, chances are it's going to serve you in whatever you end up doing. And, you know, I never would have thought a tap dancing Broadway showgirl, you know, transitioning from that into a meditation expert. It doesn't seem like a likely journey, but at the end of the day, I still have to entertain people. I mean, people listen to me talk. My course is 10 hours long. The in-person course is two hours a day for five days. And if you're boring, people are going to check out. They're not going to receive the information. They're not going to stay with you long enough to have an intellectual understanding of why they need to commit to the practice or the neuroscience of what's happening to the brain. And so I very much am calling on my previous career to help make this one as enjoyable as possible for my students.
0: Well, again, as a student, and in fact, today, it's just a coincidence, but I'm actually bribing my 14-year-old son to start taking Ziva with me. All right. I'm paying him $5 a day (laughs) so that he will sit down with me because he's 14 and he doesn't get it. Yeah. And I know that this is going to help him in so many different ways, but we are going to be sitting down and he doesn't know what he's in for because this isn't like just sitting there saying, um, it is you are entertaining and teaching all at once. Do you think meditation, Emily, has actually helped you to become a better entrepreneur? Absolutely there's no
1: question about it. People think that meditation means clearing your mind. That's not true. The mind thinks involuntarily, just like the heart beats involuntarily. The only time the brain flatlines is when we're dead. So if you've ever tried meditation and felt like a failure, please let me help you. Let me share this technique with you because it really can make your life so much better. But as an entrepreneur, you have to hold so many things in one awareness. You have marketing, you have HR, you have the hiring process, you have p and and then whatever your actual product is, product development, research and development. And it's a lot of things to hold in one awareness at the same time. And this to me is one of the most beautiful benefits of meditation is that as it goes in and eradicates that lifetime of accumulated stress that we all have in our bodies, it gives us more mental and physical capacity for the task at hand. It actually increases what we call a simultaneity of consciousness that allows you to hold many things in your awareness at the same time. And this as an entrepreneur is the single most valuable skill. And second to that, I would say would be your ability to adapt and Certainly in this market, you know, technology is speeding up. The rate of change is only going to get faster and faster. And I really think that one of the single most important qualities that we can start to cultivate as humans is the ability to adapt. And if we don't have that, I think we're gonna get left behind. And so meditation allows you to adapt to things because you're not clinging on to how you think they should go. You're not clinging on to the past, which is what your left brain does. The left brain is in charge of the past and the future. And it's controlling, it's critical mind. And the right brain, which is what we're exercising when we meditate, it's all about present moment. It's all about right here, right now. And the more present you are in the right now, the more intuitive you are, the more you're able to trust your instincts about how you want to adapt, which I think is really, you know, this is what the entrepreneurs that are really crushing it in the game. If you talk to them about why they made these big decisions, why they went the direction that they went, most of them will say, I don't know, it was just my gut. And so your gut is your intuition. And that's actually something that we can take to the gym there are practices that can
0: help you get better at listening to your intuition, and that's meditation. So you've already started down this path, and this is another thing that I love so much about the way that you teach, Emily, is that you know the science and the research. Can you talk a bit more about what we know and how meditation is helping us in so many different ways? Sure. So I mean, the simple answer here is that stress makes you stupid.
1: It's a harsh (laughs) reality, but it's true. Stress makes you stupid. It also makes you sick and slow. There's a reason why you can't find your keys when they're in your hands when you're rushing to get out the door. There's a reason why you can't find your glasses when they're on top of your head if you're freaking out about where your glasses are. It's because your body and brain are preparing ultimately for an imaginary tiger attack. And so you know, when the human body reacts to stress, now it's actually reacting to historic predatory attacks. So the body starts to think that it's being attacked by a tiger or a lion or a bear. So what will happen when we get stressed is that our digestion will flood with acid to shut down digestion because we need all hands on deck to fight or flee the predatory attack. The acid seeps onto your skin so that you don't taste very good if you get bitten into by that tiger. Your bladder and bowels evacuate. Your adrenaline and cortisol levels increase. Your immune system goes to the back burner because who cares if you're gonna get cancer, if you're about to be killed by a tiger. And all of these chemical reactions are very good for you if your demands are saber-toothed tigers. But if your demands are finals or job interviews or breakups or your parents' divorce or in-laws, then this fight or flight stress reaction has become maladaptive. It is now disallowing us from perf- Forming at the top of our game. And so basically, what meditation is doing is that it's going in and not only getting rid of the stress from today, right? Which is cool. Like we want to get rid of today's stress, but it's also giving your body deep healing rest, which is getting rid of all of your stress from the past. All of that stuff that's been stored in your cellular memory. So every all nighter, every Jack Daniels, every Taco Bell, that's all in your body and it has to come up and out. And so the meditation is actually de exciting the nervous system and allowing your cells to create order which allows that junk to come up and out. Now, the other thing that happens in the body when we meditate is that we're not only getting rid of those acidic chemicals like cortisol and adrenaline, but we're also flooding the brain and body with dopamine and serotonin. These are bliss chemicals, and they are also alkaline in nature, which means that they can reverse body age, they can increase skin elasticity, they can increase brain elasticity. So, you know, if you drink a green juice, the reason why you would do that is to alkalize your body. And so similarly, when we meditate, we're alkalizing the brain and body. We're changing the pH balance to one that is much more hospitable for healing and rejuvenation.
0: So did you like just sit in a library for like eight months to download into your brain all these data points? How much time has it taken you to become this Grounded in the minutiae? Mm. Well, my teacher training
1: was a very concentrated, intensive time, but I was not studying science then. My teacher training was, you know, about 18 hours a week of meditation. It was probably 15 hours a week of apprenticing and then 10 to 15 hours a week of transcribing books by hand in Sanskrit. And so it was very intensive, but much more on the esoteric and on the spiritual. And that was a very concentrated time. Once I started both meditating and then training to be a teacher, then I just started. Reading as much as I could, so every new neuroscience study that would come out, every new neuroscience conference that would be held in New York, I would attend. So it's just been sort of a slow progression of every time an article comes out, I read it, and it's fascinating because there's more and more scientific studies that are happening each year because meditation is becoming so popular, and so many celebrities and CEOs and thought leaders have outed themselves as meditators in the past five years that I think it's inspiring more scientists to study it. So it's a beautiful upward spiral that's happening. That as more high performers out themselves, more scientists want to study it. And then conversely, the more scientists who are studying it, the more high performers feel less of a stigma about it. And so it's just been, the science part has been sort of a slow drip, whereas the esoteric knowledge was very concentrated at the beginning.
0: I want to ask you about the Ziva technique in one minute, but before I do, I want to make clear that there are no sacred cows on time for coffee, and that includes coffee and caffeine. So Emily, please share with Java junkies how, in your opinion, meditation is the new caffeine. (laughs)
1: Yeah, so this is actually a talk that I gave at the Google headquarters in New York. It was called Why Meditation is the New Caffeine. And look, I'm not saying you have to give up coffee. I'm not saying you can't drink coffee. I personally don't because it makes me crazy. I already vibrate really high. Like my (laughs) metabolism is very fast and I normally talk really, really quickly, especially for a meditation teacher. And so I'm not saying you have to give it up. If it serves you, then that's awesome. But what I am suggesting is that we can look at meditation as a productivity tool, just like we look at caffeine, like a productivity tool. You know, we reach to coffee because we want to perform at the top of our game and we want to be clear and we want to show up as the most amazing version of ourselves. We want to really be able to focus in and stress is keeping us from being able to do most of those things. So basically what happens when we drink coffee, just to have a little bit of neuroscience on it, is caffeine is molecularly very similar to a chemical called adenosine. And adenosine is what your brain produces to tell you that you're tired. And so the caffeine goes in and blocks your body. Ability to receive that adenosine. So it's actually masking your ability to feel tired. Now, what happens is that once the caffeine goes away, your body has been producing adenosine all the while. So all of this sort of backlog then floods the brain. And that's what the crash is. That's what the come down is after coffee. It's all that adenosine telling your body how tired you are. So, what the argument that I make is that, well, if you meditate, not even instead, but even in addition to, when you're meditating, you're giving your body rest that is about two to five times deeper than sleep. And this is not an insignificant point because when you give your body the rest that it needs, it knows how to heal itself. And then when you have that deep rest, you come out on the other side and you're more awake, you're more energized, and it's a sustainable form of energy, which means that it's increasing neuroplasticity
0: and it's over time giving you more and more energy. Love it. I think that's fantastic. And Java junkies need to just figure it out for themselves what works. You know, they may be able to continue to have that morning Java, and as long as they're coupling it with meditation. Maybe that works and maybe it doesn't. So
1: yeah. And I found that like just with a lot of my students, some people meditate and have coffee and they feel great. And that's a winning combination for them. A few of my students, they become a little bit too sensitive to coffee. Like it makes them feel like too jacked up after they start meditating. But a lot of my students enjoy both. Like when I was writing my book, actually, I haven't drank coffee since, I don't know, really ever. Um. Yeah, I would have it a few times, but because my nervous system is just wired so high, it just it's almost like toxic for me. But when I was writing my book and I was pregnant, I did enjoy a few cups of bulletproof coffee, and it really helped. Like it allowed me to sustain my focus while writing, even though my body was very tired. You know, because I was growing a human. Um, <laughs> and so I think you know, it's it's not about I, no rules, right? It's no dogma, no doctrine. Like you said, people find out what works well for them.
0: Yeah, and I think one of the things that. That I've learned from going to different lectures and reading books by people like Mark Hyman is that you can add things to your coffee, like a spoonful of ghee or MCT oil or things like that, that actually help you. I don't think digest is the right way to put it. Emily, you probably have a better way of putting it. Yes. Yeah, so that's
1: a beautiful thing. And that's what, so Dave Asprey, the founder of Bulletproof Coffee, he encourages people to put butter in their coffee, like Kerry, gold, grass-fed butter and He makes MCT oil and Mark Hyman, who's actually a friend and student of mine, he's a big fan of Ziva technique, which has been so lovely. He recommends coconut oil or ghee. And what you're doing there is that the brain runs almost exclusively on EPAs and DHAs, which are fat. And so if you put that fat in the coffee, I think it it makes not only the brain's ability to absorb that caffeine a little bit faster, but it makes the come down more slow and even because you're actually fueling your brain with the fat. And then when that caffeine leaves the brain, you still have nourished it with the fat. So it makes it a bit smoother
0: and a more sustainable high. See, I knew you'd have a much more eloquent and thorough (laughs) way of explaining it than me. (laughs) So what is the Ziva technique and what differentiates it, Emily, from other meditation practices? Mm. So
1: the Ziva technique is this beautiful trifecta of
0: mindfulness, meditation, and
1: manifesting. The three Ms, as we like to call it. And this is a bit of news to people because a lot of people think that mindfulness and meditation are the same thing. A lot of people are using those terms as synonyms, but they're not the same thing. Mindfulness is the art of bringing your awareness into the right now. And most of the meditation apps out there, most of the YouTube videos, most of the drop-in studios are actually teaching what I would call mindfulness. It's where you're directing your focus somewhere. Like, I'm going to visualize a waterfall or visualize my chakras or count my breathing. So you're focusing on something. And mindfulness is great. It's very powerful, like I said, at getting rid of your stress in the now. Like I had a crazy day at school today. I'm feeling really stressed. Let me do this 10 minute of guided breath work and I feel better in the now. Like you have a headache, you take aspirin, you feel better right now. What meditation is doing, and meditation is really the main course of the Ziva technique, is that it's giving your body deep healing rest, which allows it to get rid of all your stress from the past. And this is really where the performance element comes into play, because like I said earlier, stress makes you stupid. And it's not just your stress from today. It's all the accumulated stresses you have from your whole life that ultimately slows down the brain and body, like having too many windows open on your computer. And so what we do with the meditation is that we give the body rest and it closes down all those old irrelevant windows in the brain computer so that you have more computing power for the task at hand. So you can really perform at the top of your game. And then we finish with two minutes of manifesting. And that word gets a little bit of a bad rap because people think like, oh, it's like magical thinking or you want me to just like secret my dreams. But to me, manifesting simply means consciously creating a life you love. It's getting intentional about what you want to create in your life. How much money do you want to make? What's your dream relationship look like? What's your favorite vacation spot? You know, what's your perfect friend group look like? And I'm constantly amazed at how frequently people don't take the time to ask these questions. Instead, we ask questions like, why don't I have a boyfriend? Why can't I lose weight? Why can't I get a job? And the thing is, the quality of our life is dependent on the quality of the questions that we ask. And if we ask questions like, why can't I get a job? Your brain will find answers to that question. But if you ask questions like, what does my dream job look like? You will find answers to that question as well. And so really what we're doing at the end of the practice, because we have to keep our eyes closed to protect the optic nerve in the brain. So we use that time to start to imagine one dream, one goal as if it's happening now. And that's really the not so secret secret to manifesting is imagining your dreams as if they're happening now. And I walk people through an exercise at the end of the mindfulness and in the meditation that we move through the manifesting exercise. And what I have found is that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts because you could meditate all day. But if you're not clear on what it is that you want, it's very hard for nature to give you your desires. And conversely, you could watch the secret on repeat and make a million vision boards. But if you're not meditating and your body is really with stress, chances are you don't believe that you deserve your desires. And we don't get what we want in life. We get what we believe we deserve. And so it's important that we meditate. So we clean house, we get rid of all that old junk in our body so that it increases what I call deserving power. And then it's not arrogant. It's not entitlement. It's just, this is what I want. And I believe that nature gave me this desire.
0: And so I'm going to bring it into the manifest. So as Java junkies, start to try to clear out the junk back in the moving truck (laughs) to Mm -hmm. load it on up and take that out of there, how long does it usually take, Emily, before someone who's in their late teens, 20s, is able to completely sort of decontaminate their bodies (laughs) with their lifetime of stress?
1: Well, people start to see some changes right off the bat. Like people start to notice like oh, this is different. Like there's some furniture moving around, life feels a little bit brighter, a little bit more enjoyable, my coffee tastes better, my food tastes better. The birds are chirping, the sun is shining. Like that happens for most people on day 1 or 2. Like that is pretty quick. But how long does it take to get rid of the entire backlog of stresses you've ever accumulated in your entire life? For most people, it's somewhere around 7 to 10 years. For people who are starting at the early age of 18 or 20 or something, it might be only five years. But it's very different for each person depending on how stressed are they when they start, how regular are they with the practice, and then how much demand are they under while they're practicing. So it's very individual, but people start to notice that their life gets better almost immediately. Now, the caveat to that is that in the first few days and weeks of people starting, there can be a period of physical and emotional detox. And that's really my job is to help people through that. My job is to let people know when they need to adjust the program or when they need to maybe back off the meditation because I've been through that myself and I've helped over 15,000 people through that process. So it doesn't scare me anymore. And I have a lot of tools in my toolkit to help people make that process elegant and not scary.
0: Oh, that's great. Emily, what do you say to people who think they can't meditate like me when I first started because we can't clear our minds? Mm. So this
1: is really big. This is the number one barrier to meditation. And it's really why most people think meditation is hard. It's why most people quit. And I feel like there's this one dude out there telling everyone to clear their minds and we got to find him and we got (laughs) to teach him how to meditate (laughs) because he's making it so much harder for everyone. But here's the really good news. The mind thinks involuntarily, just like the heart beats involuntarily. So trying to give your brain a command to shut up is as effective as trying to give your heart a command to stop beating. You know, it just It just doesn't work. And yet this is the criteria by which everyone is judging themselves as to whether or not they can meditate. And it makes me sad because then people quit and they potentially rob themselves of a lifetime of bliss and fulfillment of a lifetime of better performance because some yoga teacher who didn't actually know how to meditate themselves said, just clear your mind, just let the thoughts go. But it's not about not having thoughts. No, one cares if you're a good meditator. Everyone cares if you're good at life. And the reason why meditation makes you good at life is actually because it's giving you that deep rest, which makes you more awake in your waking state. And it is that increase in wakefulness that's actually increasing your consciousness. That's the thing that's up-leveling your performance
0: capabilities. Fantastic. Now, I'm going to ask you about Stress Less, Accomplish More, your new book that's coming out in early 2019 in February, as a matter of fact. But first, I want to ask you about one of the things that you've said Java junkies and others will get out of the Ziva technique, and that is mind-blowing sex. (laughs) How? What is it about meditation and the three Ms that will really lead to that better orgasm? So a lot of folks don't
1: actually realize just how stressed they are. And there's some new science coming out suggesting that if women have a certain amount of cortisol, which is a stress hormone, if they have too much cortisol, then they become physically incapable of orgasming. And similarly with men, if they have too much adrenaline, they become incapable of having an erection. So even if you're not that far gone, even if you're not in the place where you're dealing with those types of severe issues, no matter how much adrenaline and cortisol you have during, you know, sexy playtime, It's dampening your ability to fully enjoy the process, to fully surrender to the practice. And I think I'm a little fuzzy on the science because it's been a minute since I've visited it. But what I do know is that the number one reason why cohabitating couples in the US don't have as much sex as they want to is they say that they're too tired, right? It's like the number one excuse that people Mm -hmm. use as I'm too tired. And so if the meditation is giving you rest that's five times deeper than sleep, so that means the a 15-minute meditation, you're getting the equivalent of about an hour's nap. If you do that at 3 or 4 p.m., you actually have a little gas left in the tank. So when you get home, you might actually have a little bit more energy to you know, be with your partner or to go out on a date or to go hang out with your friends and maybe meet someone versus being so exhausted, so overwhelmed and burned out from your day's work that you just come home and binge on Netflix and scroll through Instagram and pass out on the couch. And the other thing, you know, the classic excuse of like, not tonight, honey, I have a headache. Well, we have a 90% success rate with migraines at Ziva if they are stress related. And so if you're using the meditation to help heal these basic things like stress and migraines and give you more energy, then the hypothesis here is that you have more energy, more wellness to be present with your partner. And then as far as the mindfulness component goes of Ziva, what we teach is something called come to your senses, which is a simple, but powerful technique where you actually move through all five of your senses. And I actually teach folks to do that before they engage in sex. So it's like they're priming the pump, they're warming up their brains and body, really getting themselves present in the moment so that they can be fully available to their partners. And then the final thing that I'll mention, and it gets a little out there, but there's a thing called mirror neurons. And mirror neurons are the reason why porn is a multi-billion dollar industry. It's the reason why you can receive pleasure from watching someone else have pleasure. Or if this was a video podcast and I were to pull out a knife and cut my hand, you'd be like, you know, ow, like it would hurt you by watching me cut myself. And so mirror neurons are, I imagine them as boomerangs in the brain. So imagine that my brain has boomerangs and your brain has boomerangs and they come out and they dance with each other and then they report back to our brains. And so when you meditate, you're in. Increasing mirror neural activity, which means that you receive more pleasure from watching your partner have pleasure. It means that you're more empathetic and perhaps even a little bit, (laughs) perhaps your partner will think that you're psychic because you're going to start to (laughs) intuit what they want before they even know it. And then because you're receiving pleasure from their pleasure, it starts like a beautiful, generous upward spiral instead of like, well, what have you done for me lately? Or let's just get this over with, which is not great conditions for having fun, sexy time.
0: No, I would. I would say so. For sure. Well, thanks so much for sharing that. So, let's get into Stress Less, Accomplish More. Why did you write this book and how do you see it as a complement or a supplement to your online course, Emily? Hmm. so I think that the book is a great place for people to get started it
1: goes deep into the neuroscience and science behind all the selfish reasons that we want to meditate like there's a chapter on better sex as well, what we just talked about there's a chapter on reversing your body age there's a chapter on immune health there's a chapter on sleep and so we go deep into the neuroscience of why meditation makes all of these different things better which I find are the selfish reasons that most of us come to meditation and then part two of the book I actually share a practice it's a gentle version than what I teach online, but people actually do learn a gentle version of the three Ms, the mindfulness, the meditation and the manifesting. And then part three of the book, we really pull the lens out and we look at the ripple effect of what does this practice do not only to you selfishly, but what impact does you performing at the top of your game have on your family? What impact does that have on your office, on your classmates, on your town, on your state, on your country? And ultimately we pull the lens all the way out to ask the question, well, if we could get a critical mass of humans meditating, what happens to consciousness itself? What happens to the human race? Because I have some pretty lofty ideas that the big threats facing humanity right now, which I consider to be climate change, racism, and the fact that our food isn't food anymore, that these are not the problems. These are symptoms of deeper underlying problems. And in order to solve those, we have to actually uplevel the state of consciousness with which they were created. And, you know, the Einstein quote, no problem will be solved at the same state of consciousness with which it was created created. And in my experience, the most powerful, fastest tool we have to really change consciousness to get rid of stress is meditation. And so what I've done in this book is taken what I consider to be the most potent, powerful medicine out there, which is meditation. And I've wrapped it in some really delicious candy coating, like better sex and more money and better parking karma.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. Well, that is so exciting. You have definitely put yourself out there in terms of pretty lofty ambitions that you want to achieve.
1: Mm, yes, my new goal at Ziva is to eradicate unnecessary suffering from the planet.
0: <laughs> Dang <laughs> Yeah. That's just, pretty I- good. <laughs> That's a good one. So Emily, I try to ask all time for coffee guests a couple of questions. And this one in particular is, you know, relevant for you and your mission, which is a time in your professional life when you struggled or failed and you have already alluded to your time on Broadway as an actress and a performer. But more importantly, how you came through the other side, how you built resilience, what lessons did you learn in the process? If you could share a story with Java junkies to help them Appreciate the fact that we all go through this shit. We all Mm -hmm. have our ups and downs in our personal lives and in our professional lives. Mm Mm-hmm. So you know, being an actress, it's failure after failure after
1: failure. I mean, it's rejection after rejection after rejection. You go on 100 auditions, you maybe book one. That means 99 times you're hearing no. And so I think that since I had done that my whole life, I do think I had exercised that resilience muscle already, but it was taking quite a toll on my body. So once I had the meditation and it wasn't causing such a physical toll, but I had that muscle of resilience and rejection already built in, I think that combination was quite powerful. But there's one instance that comes to mind and it was actually when I had first built our first online training. And like I said, it was an experiment. I didn't know if it was going to work, but I was really proud of what we had created. I had spent nine months making the videos, building the back-end technology, creating a CRM platform for our customers. And we had done like months, like two or three months of marketing, all leading up to like the intro call, right? And it was going to be this big call with people in from all over the world. And I was going to introduce my new baby and have this course. And It was going to be this big launch. It was going to be like a world changing event and cut to the day. We get the call. There's like maybe 23 people on the call. Two of them signed up for the course. Oh. And I remember I came home and I cried and cried and cried to my husband. And I was so confused. I was like, I don't understand why everyone doesn't want this. Like, this is the key. This is the thing. Why don't people understand how good it is? And I really, I really thought about quitting. I was like, this road is too long. This work is too hard. It's too much of an uphill battle. People think that meditation is hard. They think it's a waste of time. No one even understands how easy and good it can be. And I really wanted to quit. And probably because I'm something wise, he said, I mean, I'm so lucky to have my husband. He's been such a support and a mentor to me through all of this. But I just let myself be sad and I just let myself be disappointed and I was hurt. But then I just got back in the saddle the next day and I just went back to work and I just kept on keeping on because I really, truly believe in the power of these tools. And now cut to, you know, Ziva is well over seven figures and recently learned that there's only two percent of female entrepreneurs that cross the seven figure mark and I'm wow. Really, yeah, isn't that crazy? Which is I think this is something we have to change. And so I'm really into empowering, I mean all entrepreneurs, but certainly female entrepreneurs. And I'd say about seventy-five percent of our revenue is from the online training now. And so we went from two people signing up and me crying in my bedroom wanting to quit to now we're on track to, you know, grossing two million a year. And what I love about that is that I get to pay my employees well. I get to put that money back into Ziva and create better products and create, you know, easier ways for people to learn and take a year to write a book so that it can reach more people. So this is something I'm very proud of.
0: Well, unbelievable. I'm so thrilled for you, Emily, because gosh, I mean, to think that you were able to pick yourself up that next day and be like super sad and disappointed and yet just kind of like ease into the pain. Mm-hmm. And move forward. Because I think, you know, the Chinese have a great expression. It's 吃苦. You eat bitterness. Mm. And if you can eat bitterness in life, you will get to the sweet.
1: Yes. Yes and this is very I love this saying and then I think it's very quite literal and esoteric. It's like, well you have to have bitter on your plate. that's the whole macrobiotic thing, but it's also we have to be willing to feel the pain. And one of the concepts that I know you know from Ziva online is better out than in. you know we gotta feel this stuff, we have to process it. we have to move through to the new now. And a lot of us spend so much of our lives trying to avoid pain that we never put ourselves out there. We never make the things we're afraid it's gonna fail. but if you don't make it, who's going to?
0: Yeah. And you may fail. You may have really, really tough times. I mean, I think that's one of the many reasons, Emily, I wanted you to talk about how you built Ziva because for anyone who goes to the Ziva Meditation website, and it's zivameditation.com, they're going to see this beautiful website with amazing videos and wonderful swag, like fuck off, I'm meditating, the Ziva door tag that you can buy and great t-shirts and all of this and all of the wonderful things that you're doing for the community. And they're not going to realize how much bitterness you ate to get here. Mm. Yeah. I mean, everything, it's, it's a beautiful saying that, you know, pain
1: carves out space for more joy. I think it's a real K quote. And I hold that in my heart a lot of times because it, Pain is a part of life. Suffering even is a part of life. But when I say my mission is to eradicate unnecessary suffering, that's when we put fear on top of pain or we think that we shouldn't feel pain, right? It's when we somehow resist it that it makes it worse versus if you just let yourself be scared or just let yourself be sad or let yourself just feel whatever you are, you give yourself the ability to process it more fully and therefore more quickly. And then you move through to the new now. And that's where the sweetness is. It's always in the now. Our bliss is always found in the present moment and it's always found inside of us. But if we spend our whole lives trying to avoid the bitterness or try to avoid the pain, then
0: we never actually get to fully taste the sweetness. Yeah. So final time for coffee question, Emily, if you could go back to college, back to Florida State University and do it all over again, but based on the wisdom that you have now, what advice would you give yourself? I've been thinking about
1: this question a lot, and I don't know if this is a great answer, but I actually don't know if I would change anything. I'm so grateful for how my life has turned out. I'm so grateful that I've taken the roads that I've taken. I'm so grateful for the parties I went to and the drugs that I did and the friends that I made and the you know all of it. Like It was just all perfect. And I say that because I'm very happy with where I am right now. And I think that as human beings, the happier we are with our current circumstances, the easier it is to bless our past. If we're not happy with where we are in the right now, then we look at our past through the lens of what should I have changed? What should I have done differently? And I'm not saying that I don't have lessons to learn. I do. I'm learning them all the time. But there's nothing that I would change. I think that if I hadn't gone through the failures and the upsets and the heartbreaks that I went through then, I wouldn't be where I am now. And so I guess the takeaway is do whatever it takes to fully accept where you are right now today, because that is the lens through which you will see everything, your past and your future.
0: Mm. Well, Emily's new book is called Stress Less, Accomplish More. You can pre order it. We're going to have it in show notes, so you can just click on the Amazon link. It comes out in February 2019. Her online course, The Ziva Technique, you can find it at zivameditation.com. It's a 15 day course. Emily Fletcher Thank you so much for making Time for Coffee with me and the Java Junkie community today. I greatly appreciate you making the time for us. It has been an absolute delight. Thank you for
1: being such a great interviewer and thank you for sharing this with your tribe and for you committing to the practice and now with your son. I'm really excited to hear that update.
0: (laughs) Thanks so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you